Chapter Ten of the Golden Lion of Grandpere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry O'Neill. The Golden Lion of Grandpere by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Ten. So your cousin Marie is to be married to Adrien Ormond, the young linen merchant at Basel, said Madame Faragon one morning to Georges Fosse. In this manner were the first assured tidings of the coming marriage conveyed to the rival lover. This occurred a day or two after the betrothal, when Adrien was back at Basel. No one at Grandpere had thought of writing an express letter to Georges on the subject. Georges's father might have done so, had the writing of letters been a customary thing with him, but his correspondence was not numerous, and such letters as he did write were short, and always confined to matters concerning his trade. Madame Foss had, however, sent a special message to Madame Faragon, as soon as Adrien had gone, thinking that it would be well that in this way Georges should learn the truth. It had been fully arranged by this time that Georges Foss was to be the landlord of the hotel at Colmar, on and from the first day of the following year. Madame Faragon was to be allowed to sit in the little room downstairs, to scold the servants, and to make the strangers from a distance believe that her authority was unimpaired. She was also to receive a moderate annual pension in money, in addition to her board and lodging. For these considerations, and on condition that Georges Foch should expend a certain sum of money in renewing the faded glories of the house, he was to be the landlord, in full enjoyment of all real power on the first of January following. Madame Faragon, when she had expressed her agreement to the arrangement, which was indeed almost in all respects one of her own creation, wept and wheezed and groaned bitterly. She declared that she would soon be dead, and so trouble him no more. Nevertheless, she especially stipulated that she should have a new armchair for her own use, and that the feather-bed in her own chamber should be renewed. So your cousin Marie is to be married to Adrien Ormond, the young linen merchant at Basel, said Madame Faragon. Who says so? demanded Georges. He asked his question in a quiet voice. But, though the news had reached him thus suddenly, he had sufficient control over himself to prevent any plain expression of his feelings. The thing which had been told him had gone into his heart like a knife, but he did not intend that Madame Faragon should know that he had been wounded. "'It is quite true. There is no doubt about it. Stodel's man with the roulage brought me word direct from your stepmother.' George immediately began to inquire within himself why Stodel's man with the roulage had not brought some word direct to him, and answered the question to himself not altogether incorrectly. Oh, yes, continued Madame Faragon, it is quite true. On the 15th of October, I suppose you will be going over to the wedding? This she said in her usual whining tone of small complaint, signifying thereby how great would be the grievance to herself to be left alone at that special time. I shall not go to the wedding, said Georges. They can be married, if they are to be married, without me. They are to be married. You may be quite sure of that. Madame Faragon's grievance now consisted in the amount of doubt which was being thrown on the tidings which had been sent direct to her. Of course you will choose to have a doubt, because it is I who tell you. I do not doubt it at all. I think it is very likely. 
I was well aware before that my father wished it. Of course he would wish it, George. How should he not wish it? Marie Bromar never had a franc of her own in her life, and it is not to be expected that he, with a family of young children at his heels, is to give her a dot. He will give her something. He will treat her as though she were a daughter. Then I think he ought not. But your father was always a romantic, headstrong man. At any rate, there she is, a barmaid, as we may say, in the hotel, much the same as our Floschen here. And, of course, such a marriage as this is a great thing, a very great thing indeed. How should they not wish it? Oh, if she likes him. Like him? Of course she will like him. Why should she not like him? Young and good-looking, with a fine business, doesn't owe a sou. I'll be bound, and with a house full of furniture. Of course she'll like him. I don't suppose there is so much difficulty about that. I dare say not, said George. I believe that women's likings go after that fashion for the most part. Madame Farragon, not understanding this general sarcasm against her sex, continued the expression of her opinion about the coming marriage. I don't suppose anybody will think of blaming Marie Bromar for accepting the match when it was proposed to her. Of course she would do as she was bidden, and could hardly be expected to say that the man was above her. He is not above her, said Georges in a hoarse voice. Marie Bromar is nothing to you, Georges, nothing in blood, nothing beyond a most distant cousin. They do say that she has grown up good-looking. Yes, she is a handsome girl. When I remember her as a child she was broad and dumpy, and they always come back at last to what they were as children. But, of course, Monsieur Urmand only looks at what she is now. She makes her hay while the sun shines. But I hope the people won't say that your father has caught him at the Lion d'Or and taken him in. My father is not the man to care very much about what anybody says about such things. "'Perhaps not so much as he ought, Georges,' said Madame Farragon, shaking her head. After that, Georges Foss went about the house for some hours, doing his work, giving his orders, and going through the usual routine of the day's business. As he did so, no one guessed that his mind was disturbed. Madame Farragon had not the slightest suspicion that the matter of Marie's marriage was a cause of sorrow to him. She had felt the not unnatural envy of a woman's mind in such an affair, and could not help expressing it, although Marie Bromar was in some sort connected with herself. But she was sure that such an arrangement would be regarded as a family triumph by Georges, unless, indeed, he should be inclined to quarrel with his father for over-generosity in the matter of the dot. "'It is lucky that you got your little bit of money before this affair was settled,' said she. "'It would not have made the difference of a copper sou,' said Georges Foss, as he walked angrily out of the old woman's room. This was in the evening after supper, and the greater part of the day had passed since he had heard the news first. Up to the present moment he had endeavoured to shake off the matter from him, declaring to himself that grief, or at least any outward show of grief, would be unmanly and unworthy of him. With a strong resolve he had fixed his mind upon the affairs of his house, and had allowed himself to meditate as little as might be possible. But the misery, the agony, had been then present with him during all those hours, and had been made sharper by his endeavours to keep it down and banish it from his thoughts. 
now as he went out from madame farragon's room having finished all that it was his duty to do he strolled into the town and at once began to give way to his thoughts of course he must think about it he acknowledged that it was useless for him to attempt to get rid of the matter and let it be as though there were no such persons in the world as marie bromar and adrien urmand he must think about it but he might so give play to his feelings that no one should see him in the moments of his wretchedness he went out therefore among the dark walks in the town garden and there as he paced one alley after another in the gloom he revelled in the agony which a passionate man feels when the woman whom he loves is to be given into the arms of another as he thought of his own life during the past year or fifteen months he could not but tell himself that his present suffering was due in some degree to his own fault if he really loved this girl and if it had been his intention to try and win her for himself why had he taken his father at his word and gone away from grandpere and why having left grandpere had he taken no trouble to let her know that he still loved her as he asked himself these questions he was hardly able himself to understand the pride which had driven him away from his old home and which had kept him silent so long she had promised him that she would be true to him then had come those few words from his father's mouth words which he thought his father should never have spoken to him and he had gone away telling himself that he would come back and fetch her as soon as he could offer her a home independently of his father if after the promises she had made to him she would not wait for him without further words and further vows she would not be worth the having in going he had not precisely told himself that there should be no intercourse between them for twelve months but the silence which he had maintained and his continued absence had been the consequence of the mood of his mind and the tenor of his purpose the longer he had been away from grandpere without tidings from any one there the less possible had it been that he should send tidings from himself to his old home he had not expected messages he had not expected any letter but when nothing came he told himself over and over again that he too would be silent and would bide his time then edmond grice came to colmar and brought the first rumour of adrien urmand's proposal of marriage the reader will perhaps remember that georges when he heard this first rumour had at once made up his mind to go over to grandpere and that he went he went to grandpere partly believing and partly disbelieving edmond's story if it were untrue perhaps she might say a word to him that would comfort him and give him new hope if it were true she would have to tell him so and then he would say a word to her that should tear her heart if her heart was to be reached but he would never let her know that she had torn his own to rags that was the pride of his manliness and yet he was so boyish as not to know that it should have been for him to make those overtures for a renewal of love which he hoped that marie would make to him he had gone over to grandpere and the reader will perhaps again remember what had passed then between him and marie just as he was leaving her he had asked her whether she was to be married to this man he had made no objection to such a marriage he had spoken no word of constancy of his own affection in his heart there had been anger against her because she had spoken no such word to him as of course there was also in her heart against him very bitter and very hot if he wished her to be true to him why did he not say so if he had given her up why did he come there at all 
why did he ask any questions about her marriage if on his own behalf he had no statement to make no assurance to give what was her marriage or her refusal to be married to him was she to tell him that as he had deserted her and as she could not busy herself to overcome her love therefore she was minded to wear the willow for ever if my uncle and aunt choose to dispose of me i cannot help it she had said then he had left her and she had been sure that for him that early game of love was a game altogether played out now as he walked along the dark paths of the town garden something of the truth came upon him he made no excuse for marie bromar she had given him a vow and should have been true to her vow so he had said to himself a dozen times he had never been false he had shown no sign of falseness true of heart he had remained away from her only till he might come and claim her and bring her to a house that he could call his own this also he told himself a dozen times but nevertheless there was a very agony of remorse of weight of repentance in that he had not striven to make sure of his prize when he had been at grandpere before the marriage was settled had she loved him as she ought to have loved him had she loved him as he loved her there should have been no question possible to her of marriage with another man but still he repented in that he had lost that which he desired and might perhaps have then obtained it for himself but the strong feeling of his breast the strongest next to his love was a desire to be revenged he cared little now for his father little for that personal dignity which he had intended to return by his silence little for the pecuniary advantages and prudential motives in comparison with his strong desire to punish marie for her perfidy he would go over to grandpere and fall among them like a thunderbolt like a thunderbolt at any rate he would fall upon the head of marie bromar the very words of her love promises were still firm in his memory and he would see if she also could be made to remember them i shall go over to grandpere the day after to-morrow he said to madame Ferragon as he caught her just before she retired for the night to grandpere the day after to-morrow and why well i don't know that i can say why exactly i shall not be at the marriage but i should like to see them first i shall go the day after to-morrow and he went to grandpere on the day fixed End of chapter 10